0: From the Hutterberg Catechism, we read together, Lord's Day 37. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No, a lawful oath is a calling upon God who alone knows the heart to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honour. beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the past weeks, we've begun dealing with the Ten Commandments. Very often, we focus on the commandments as rules to live by. We see those rules as being restrictive. Our human nature doesn't like being told, you shall not. But as we grow in the Christian faith, we learn to see that God has given us His commandments for our benefit, There are many blessings associated with obedience to God's commands, and much suffering and hardship when we disobey. There's something else about the commandments that we often miss. In telling us about how he wants us to live our lives, God reveals something about himself. When God commands a certain type of behavior, He's teaching us about how we are to image him. In the third commandment, the Lord commands us not to misuse his name. It's because he is an awesome God, glorious and majestic, worthy of all praise and adoration. Any blaspheming or cursing of his name is an attack on God's glory. We are not to dishonor God in our words or works. Our Catechism takes two Lord's Days to deal with the Third Commandment. The focus in Lord's Day 37 is on the swearing of oaths and on the closely related matter of making vows. There are two different kinds of oaths. In a court of law or in other serious situations, you may be asked to swear a declaratory oath. In it, be, in it you promise before God that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In making such an oath, you're asking God to witness and to punish you if you swear falsely. At times, we also make promissory oaths. When we promise to fulfill our duties as a Canadian citizen, as a police officer, a judge, or government official, Connected to this are the vows that we make at our public profession of faith, our marriage, the baptism of our children, or ordination to office as elder or deacon. Lord's Day 37 presents us with some questions about the making of oaths or vows. Should or shouldn't we as Christians swear an oath? If so, how and in what kind of circumstances should we do so? The misuse of oaths was a great issue in the days when the Lord Jesus was on earth. People swore oaths to mislead others about their intentions, to take advantage of them. And so Jesus and the apostles taught us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We are to reflect God's righteousness and truth in the promises that we make in our lives. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. The Lord Jesus teaches us to be faithful to our promises, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. He requires such faithfulness for the glory of God's name and for the benefit of our neighbor. There's a particular reason why the Catechism spends an extra Lord's Day on the third commandment. It's because of the wrong teaching of the Anabaptists in the time of the Reformation. They questioned whether or not it was lawful to swear an oath. They concluded that it was wrong to do so. As a basis, the Anabaptists quoted Jesus' words in Matthew 5, verse 34, where he said, Do not take an oath at all. And James' words recorded in James 5, verse 12, where he said, But above above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. On the basis of those kinds of passages, they claimed it's wrong for us to swear an oath in any circumstance. And yet our catechism teaches us something different. It tells us that we may swear an oath when the government demands it of its subjects, or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Is that right? Is that in accordance with with what the Bible teaches? What about those passages we just quoted from Matthew 5 and James 5? Should we as Christians still swear oaths today? In order to answer these questions, we need to examine the scriptures somewhat further. Let's look first at Numbers 30. We read it together. The general precept about swearing oaths and making vows is given in verse 2. There the Lord commanded his people, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In the rest of Numbers 30, we read about two exceptions to this general rule. If a young woman makes a vow while she's still in her father's house, her father can overrule it. And if a wife makes a vow, her husband can overrule it. Just like in our day, a contract signed by a minor is not binding. So in Israel, vows made by daughters and wives could be overruled. Now the general rule of Numbers 30 is confirmed by other passages in the Bible Deuteronomy 6, verse 13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Deuteronomy 23 tells us, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. These precepts make it clear that when the Israelites made an oath or a vow, the Lord expected them to keep their word. The Lord took the oaths of his people very seriously. When the spies made an oath to Rahab, the Lord made an exception to the ban of destruction that he placed on the city of Jericho. He spared Rahab and her family according to the promise the spies made to her. Similarly, the Lord took seriously the oath that Joshua and the men of Israel made to the Gibeonites. 2 Samuel 21 tells us that the Lord brought famine on the land because Saul broke this oath and he killed many of the Gibeonites. The famine was not lifted until Israel's guilt was atoned for. Do you know why the Lord took the making of oaths and vows so seriously? It's because his name is involved. We see this clearly from what the Lord commanded his people in Leviticus 19, verse 12. He said, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Swearing falsely by God's name profanes his holy name. It makes God's great name common. It makes God's name of no account. Someone who swears falsely in the name of the Lord is basically thumbing his nose at God and tempting God to do something about it. We understand this better when we see what swearing an oath is all about. Making an oath is a calling upon God in a special way. In an oath, we call on God to witness to the truth of what we declare or promise We pray that God, who is holy, who is all-knowing and all-powerful, will punish us if we lie or if we break our promise. An oath is a way of assuring others around us that we will speak the truth, that we will keep our word. Others are assured of this because they know that if we don't, God will punish us. From this, we see that swearing oaths in God's name is actually to the glory of his name. In making an oath, we're acknowledging God is the almighty king. He has power to punish us if we swear falsely. Swearing oaths is not wrong as the Anabaptists taught. But what about Matthew 5 and James 5? In these passages, our Lord and his brother James do not oppose the oath itself. Instead, they opposed the abuse of oaths. They opposed the way in which people used oaths to get out of doing what they had promised. The Lord Jesus was confronted with the situation that the people of his day swore all kinds of oaths. They swore oaths by heaven and by earth, by Jerusalem, by the temple, by the altar, even by their own heads. The validity of the oath depended on the basis upon which it was sworn. People would swear an oath they did not intend to keep on the basis of something that made that oath worthless. Especially Israel's religious leaders were guilty of this. And therefore Jesus pronounced woes on them in Matthew 23. We read that passage last Sunday afternoon. Jesus called them hypocrites Because they were experts at finding ways in which to avoid keeping their word. So Jesus said to them, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The basic problem with the people in Jesus' day was that they no longer swore oaths in the name of the Lord. They no longer gave him the honor and the glory by calling upon him to bear witness to the fact that they were speaking the truth. No wonder Jesus opposed the manner of oath-taking that was prevalent in his day. But no one can claim that Jesus was opposed to taking oaths itself. Jesus did not hesitate to do so when he had to appear before his judges. Matthew 26 tells us about Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. The chief priests and the whole council looked for false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found nothing with which to condemn Jesus. Finally, the high priest took matters into his own hands. He said to Jesus, "'I put you under oath by the living God,' Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. While well, Jesus had formerly been silent, now he speaks up. Although by speaking up, he will be signing his own death warrant, Jesus did not hesitate. He came into this world to offer his life for the sins of his people. He was certainly willing to testify under oath about who he was. Jesus gave testimony about whether or not he is the Messiah, the Son of God. He answered the high priest's question, It is as you say, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest's response was to tear his clothes and to accuse Jesus of blasphemy. He asked the Sanhedrin for their verdict. They answered and said, He deserves death. And so, beloved, we see Jesus was obedient to the law of God even though this would lead to his death. Under oath, our Lord was willing to testify to the truth even though it would cost him his life. What else could Jesus do? As our Savior, Jesus had to be completely obedient to the law of God. If Christ had lied, he may have saved his own life. But in the process, he would have condemned us to everlasting damnation. Christ had to obey the law of God perfectly in order to be able to pay for our sins. And so we maintain the third commandment by speaking truthfully under oath. That's what gives us motivation to do the same. Out of thankfulness for what the Lord Jesus has done for us, Let's also speak and confess the truth openly. Whether we swear oaths in court, or make vows in front of the church, or speak with our neighbor in everyday life, God wants us to do so truthfully. The Lord our God is a God of truth. He wants his people to reflect his image in all of life. In that way, we can serve as true representatives of Christ on this earth. Beloved, if we swear to tell the truth, we better do so. If we promise certain things, we need to keep our word. Out of thankfulness for his grace, Christ wants our yes to be yes and our no to be no. That's how we give glory To God's great name. This brings us to our second point, and we'll see that faithfulness in our oaths and vows is also required for the benefit of our neighbor. Much of society functions on the basis of fidelity and truth in what we say. When we deal fairly with our neighbor, life goes well. In contrast, lying and deceit are the devil's tools. Through them, he not only breaks down our relationship with God, but also our relationship with our neighbor. If people no longer speak the truth or keep their promises, then society breaks down. The consequences of perjury, of lying while under oath, can be very severe. Imagine that you're a witness in a court case. You do not speak the whole truth as you have sworn you would. You've twisted the evidence just a little bit to get out of a tight spot or to cover for a friend. The result could be that on the basis of your testimony, a judge or jury finds the accused guilty of a crime he did not commit. In such a case, the consequences for our neighbor can be very severe. His name is dragged through the mud. He may end up with a criminal conviction, a criminal record. You may have to pay a fine or spend time in jail. In ancient Israel, a man could even be put to death. Think of how Naboth was stoned to death because of the lies told by the supporters of Ahab and Jezebel. That's why in Deuteronomy 19, the Lord gave laws about swearing oaths and about giving false testimony. The Lord required that judges have at least the testimony of two witnesses before convicting someone of being guilty. God also put severe sanctions in place against those who gave false testimony. He said, if, a wit- if the witness is a false witness and accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Your eye shall not pity It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The same sentence is to be imposed on a false witness as would have been imposed on the accused if he had been found guilty. Besides making oaths in court, there are also times we make vows before God and his people. In our midst, there are young people who hope to make public profession of their faith. You realize, young people, that in answering the questions in the forum for public profession of faith, you are making vows before God, telling God that you love Him, that you're committed to serving Him according to His Word, to forsaking the world and crucifying your own flesh. There are many here who have made those vows. Are we living up to them, beloved? If we examine our lifestyle, are there things that we regularly involve ourselves in that would cause us shame if they are made known to all those around us? How can we, on the one hand, promise to commit our whole life to God's service, and on the other hand, regularly partake in sin? You think you can get away with it? That God doesn't care? That you're breaking your vows? You think he'll let you off scot-free? Please remember scripture's warning. We reap what we sow. In our midst, there are some young couples who are making plans to get married. There's also many who have made vows on their wedding day. Often we tend to think that we make our vows to our husband or wife. Wrong. The promises that we make on our wedding day are made to God. It is to God that we promise. It's to God that husbands promise to love their wives. And a wives promise to respect their husbands. It's to God that we promise we'll never forsake our spouse. But be true to him or her always, in good days and bad, in riches and poverty, in health and sickness, for as long as we both shall live. We're living up to those vows, beloved, even when life gets tough. Do we trust God's promise that we'll always receive his aid and protection, even when we least expect it? Many of our families have been blessed with children. As parents, we stood around the baptismal font. We witnessed God's gracious promises to our children. And we also made a commitment to God in that regard. That we would instruct our children in the doctrine of salvation and have them instructed therein to the utmost of our power. Baptism is another one of those joyful but at the same time, solemn occasions. For we've made promises. We've given our word. With our lips, we've made a commitment to God. Are we nurturing our children in God's ways? Disciplining them to walk with God? Do we hold our teenagers and our young people accountable? even when this may cause conflict because they're unwilling to submit. You see, beloved, swearing oaths and making vows is not something foreign to our lives. We're speaking here about something very practical, about the promises that we make to God and to our neighbor. Are we keeping our promises, beloved? Please remember, we are God's image bearers. He has created us as his representatives on this earth. As Christians, we bear the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been renewed by the Holy Spirit so we can live thankful lives in the service of God. When we keep our promises, God's holy name is honored and praised by being faithful to the commitments we make God's name receives the glory it deserves. Psalm 116 gives us the reason why we are to honor God's name in this way. It's because of his love and his faithfulness toward us. Because of the grace he has shown us in Jesus Christ. The psalmist asks, What shall I render to my Savior now for all the riches of his consolation? He answers, in all his people's presence, I will pay my vows to him, the Lord so good and gracious. With the psalmist we sing, I am, O Lord, your servant bound yet free, your humble slave whose shackles you have broken. I'll offer you my sacrifice as token of thankfulness and praise you constantly. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from Psalm 116, stanzas 7, 8, and 9.